in founder and today I will be introducing Dr. Jane Mullins here shortly. Well hi everyone and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio for listening. You see your likes, your clicks, your shares have been just tremendous in terms of helping people connect the dots to resources, tools, and products that they can utilize in this world of dementia. And so I just want to thank each and every one of you for that and also invite you to maybe be a guest on our show because we talk with everybody, those diagnosed, those caring for them, professionals, researchers, etc. And uh, so again, just thank you. Thank you all so much. You can just contact me at alzheimerspeaks.com up in the upper right hand corner. There's a big um, contact button. So just go ahead and push that. For those of you that are new to us, basically Alzheimer's Speaks was started because my mom had dementia for 30 years. And I didn't want others going through what myself and my family and my mom went through in terms of not being able to find those products, services, and tools that we could have utilized. And so Alzheimer's Speaks is really about raising everyone's voice and trying to equalize the platform so that we can share all of our lived knowledge as well as professional knowledge. And, um, and so we're an advocacy-based company that provides multiple platforms. So these video interviews is one platform. We also do um, audio uh, radio um, platform on Blog Talk Radio. I do um, dementia chats where we do a video conversation with those people living with dementia and they share their insights, tips, and tools. We have the blog, um, speaking and training, all other kinds of, of things. And um, don't forget our YouTube channel as well. So enough about us. I want to give a shout out to a couple of companies that I just adore. One is, uh, you know them by Dementia Raw, and they're really entitled the Silver Dawn Training Institute, and they equip professionals and loved ones with a new way to communicate uh, with individuals that are diagnosed, and they call it introspective improv. And their approach is unscripted, um, unconventional, and unapologetic, and they just deal with every real life issues. I'm so excited because they're going to be, uh, they're coming to um, Minnesota in White Bear Lake August 6th and 7th for one of their certified dementia communication specialist training and I'm going to be attending that so I'm really excited but they go all over the country and do that. You can uh, just go to cdcsdementiaraw.com uh, to get more information on them. I also want to give a shout out to the Roberto app, which is a really cool app that you can download and it has video and you play these video games and it measures your brain function. And you might find out that maybe you're not getting enough sleep or maybe you're not drinking enough water or maybe you're just a little too stressed or maybe it's more than that and you want to go to the doctor. Uh, but you can download that app. Um, just go to alzheimerspeaks.com. You'll see a big banner on the side. 
and you can do a free trial, get an extended free trial um, to see if it's something you want to do first. I also want to give a shout out to Maria Schreiber and her Women's Alzheimer's Movement. They just came off their Move for Minds tour. You can find more information on what she is doing at the Women's Alzheimer's Movement organization. Last, I want to give a shout out to the American Senior Magazine. It's a wonderful magazine. It comes out quarterly and it's a lifestyle magazine. It's big print, so it's easy to read. And it really focuses on senior topics ranging from nostalgia and health and wellness, as well as interviewing and spotlighting um, notable older Americans. And you can get more information on that at americanseniormagazine.com or again, go to alzheimerspeaks.com where you'll get a little discount on that if you decide to subscribe. So let's get to the heart of the matter today, why we are all gathered. We are extremely lucky to have Dr. Jane M. Mullins with us, and she is a dementia nurse consultant who has devoted over 25 years to study and practice dementia care specifically. Through listening and supporting people and their families during their diagnosis in memory clinics and caring for them in hospitals and in care homes, she's been able to help families throughout all stages of the condition. And she has a wonderful book, and I'm going to pull it up here. She's got it kind of in the background there, too, but it's called um, Finding the Light in Dementia. And it is, it's a great book, and I can't wait to talk about it a little bit more. And so welcome, Jane. How are you doing today? Oh, hello, Laurie. Thank you very much for having me today. I'm very excited to be um, to have the opportunity to speak with you. I'm going to have to have you tell people where you're from because of your accent. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm from South Wales in the UK. I'm from a little place called Mumbles. Um, I don't know if all of you have heard of Catherine Zeta-Jones, but I literally grew up around the corner where she's from. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Big actress. Yeah. 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 Um, it's a beautiful part of the world. Beautiful beaches. Uh, when we get the weather, it's, it's stunning. So anyone wants to come over to South Wales, the UK anytime, come and see us in Mumbles. Okay, mumbles. Okay, wonderful. So, Jean, I always ask every everybody who comes on our show if they've been personally touched by dementia, you know, given a, a family member or a friend. So, if you wouldn't mind answering that and just yeah. giving our, our audience a little background. Well, I think it's, it's quite interesting because up until a few years ago, I would have said no. Um, all my experience was actually working with people uh, as a nurse. Um, however, a family friend was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease three years ago. Um, and yes, I really was quite surprised at how I thought I had a lot of empathy and understanding before. Um, but actually, it was only when I saw somebody who I knew and loved uh, and grew up with um, going through the experience, it really did um, humble me actually. It is very different dealing with somebody professionally versus personally and and you don't you don't know that or I, I don't think most people did. I, I know I sure didn't until I had that experience as well and it was like wow this is really different on a lot of levels. Yeah. A, lot, yeah. a lot of levels. Um, could you tell us uh, a little bit about your background? I touched on it briefly in your intro, but I know there's a lot more to it, so. 
Well, I suppose my background or story really begins with, um, with connection. Uh, I trained as a nurse in the 1980s and spent much of that time caring for people who'd had stroke, dementia, or um, had difficulty communicating because of other, other sort of brain-related conditions. And I was really drawn to these people um, because I felt they were being neglected. Uh, not physically, but I felt that they were being ignored uh, and their voices weren't being listened to. And I mean, I was sort of an 18-year-old, you know, student nurse. I really did feel this deep sense of, um, of wanting to spend time with them and, and to try and hear what their needs were. Um, and, you know, to, I could really sense that they were really struggling and, and often nurses were just, you know, very busy but, you know, whizzing past them back, I was, um, I was told often that I was too close to the patients, that I shouldn't spend so much time with them by some of the senior nurses. But I, I knew deep down that they, they were pain, they were frustrated, um, and their voices need to be heard. Um, but I suppose talking about connection, my story really starts when I was a very young child. Um, and I remember my grandfather, who was uh, a First World War veteran. And he was at Gallipoli and on return, and it was quite amazing he returned because not many people did. Um, he was a um, opera singer, a bass baritone with the Carl Rose Opera Company. And according to my parents, he had the most sublime voice that would charm, charm his audience. But my memories of him were very different, um, of a paralysed man, bed bound and unable to speak following a number of strokes. And I can remember sensing his frustration. We tried to get his voice heard. Uh, he'd grimace, he couldn't get his words out. His body would stiffen and shake and, and he, would, um, he would cry and um, shout out sounds, but was completely incomprehensible. So as I say, I was about five at this time and, um, and it must have had a profound impact on me but he would settle when my sisters and I would go in to see him. Um, he would relax and he'd start to sing to us and he'd sing nursery rhymes and all the words came out, totally audible. Every word came out perfectly. So I'm sure that those memories of him really had an impact, as I say, on um, knowing there's always some way we can communicate. Um, whether it's somebody who's had a stroke or um, in case of who have um, dementia. So I found myself working with people um, who have dementia in memory clinics. Um, so basically I've worked for about 25 years now with people who have dementia at varying stages. When I'd be supporting people in memory clinics and help support people in, in hospital. Uh, which is a very frightening place to be when you have dementia, a very unfamiliar place. Uh, and also I've managed care homes um, where we've tried to sort of, again, help people the transition for the person who has dementia and their family. Finally, I've just completed my PhD, um, which has actually been exploring sensory ways of how we can communicate and connect with people who have dementia. 
So I think there's been a theme running throughout my life about this importance of actually helping get through and knowing that there is always somebody in there. Interesting. It sounds like the dots have definitely connected. I My life was kind of similar. I had an aunt, a great aunt, when I was 13, who I'll never forget the day she didn't remember who I was in the nursing home. She remembered my mom and she remembered my brother. My brother really didn't, you know, he really wasn't very involved. And I was so heartbroken. And I remember, I remember screaming out, I don't want anyone ever to feel this kind of pain. And, you know, it was like, that was kind of my trigger point to move forward. I was always fascinated with our elders and things and, and stuff, but yeah, they're just little things kind of like in your life that just kind of kept pushing me forward. And it just feels so natural to do that. And, um, and, and yet sometimes crazy at the same time, because other people are like, can't you let it go? And it's like, no, I really can't. Sometimes it's only looking back. Yeah. Like you say, the dots are joined at the time. You're just in that moment. But yes, it's only in looking back, you realize that this sort of path is set out a bit. So what was your motivation to write the book then? I think I, I was starting to realize that when I was listening, particularly in the memory clinics, to caregivers and to the, the um, people that we gave the diagnosis to, uh, that the caregivers had no idea of what, whether it was their husbands, wives, mothers, fathers, they had no idea really of what their loved ones were experiencing. And then they were expected to care for them and had um, very little, you know, training or understanding. And often the, the same issues would arise. So I would be sitting perhaps with a caregiver and, and similar difficulties would be talked about, such as um, he doesn't seem to be understanding what I'm saying or, you know, various things. And I, and I started jotting down a few things and realized there was some key um aspects um, along the, the whole dementia journey that can be um, familiar with everybody. Although saying that, everybody's different as we're all individuals, but there, I noticed that there was some really um, same things started cropping up. And it made me realize um, I was seeing the stress that a lot of caregivers were under and the people who had dementia um, and felt that I was actually getting a lot of knowledge myself, a lot of the time from listening to other caregivers. A lot of what Finding the Light is about is the stories that I've heard from, from caregivers about what actually helps. And I realised that, you know, I should be getting this knowledge out there more because there are people all over the world who are struggling with this, and not everybody has the help and support of a memory clinic or... Um, or nurses in the community, or, you know, a lot of people are on their own struggling and really not knowing what's going on. Um, so I started writing a newspaper column um, with these themes in mind. And it didn't take long to realise I'd written about ooh, 12 articles, really, that um, I thought, ooh, perhaps I could pop this into a book. It wasn't quite as easy as, um, as I thought, let's just pop these articles together. Um, but it did make me realise, yes, uh, this book is, is very well much needed uh, in terms of perhaps being a self-help book for caregivers. And so I think it was more that motivation of knowing that that information, there's a lot of information out there now, um, but sometimes I think having um, it all in one place 
uh, and, and in pocket size and easily accessible could really help people. No, I agree. There is a lot more out there than what there used to be. And then that gets to be a problem too of, you know, which one do you get and, and who do you believe? And, and yet so many of them have a similar theme, but I think that that's also reassuring to yeah. families and professionals that, oh, this can work. You know, again, it might not work every time and it might not work for everybody, but it's it's putting those things in your in your toolkit. Um, can you share with people some of the, the chapters and themes that you have in the book? Because I, I really liked the way that you laid the book out. It's it's very user friendly. And and really, I think you you designed it to really be a tool where they can take notes and 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 really utilize it for their own uh, their own use. It's not just throwing knowledge at. I spent so many years listening, and mm -hmm. observing, I think really you know hopefully realized you know, and I did actually um, uh, consult a lot of caregivers when I was when I was writing it. So I've got a copy of it here. Um, the first chapter really is all about what happens when you get a diagnosis. What do we do? Uh, it's, it, for some people, it can be a relief. For others, it can be an absolute shock. Um, so really, I talk about be gentle and kind with yourselves at the moment. Give yourself time. And then it really goes through some very practical and emotional aspects of, of how to come to terms with a diagnosis. And and there are some practical things we really need to be considering so that we can make sure that the person who has dementia, um, their needs and wants are really uh, explored for when there will come a time that they may not be able to express themselves so much. And then really I'm looking into um, communication, uh, the environment, how memory is affected, um, sleep can be affected, eating and drinking and personal care. So it sort of gives a lot of practical, again, understanding why the person may, um, may be uh, changing in how they respond to their environment and the people around them. And what once, once a caregiver can understand uh, what their loved one may be experiencing, it'll make more sense into the tips and approaches. Uh, I mean, one example I always like to give is that um, often people don't realise that their loved ones may actually be having difficulty with what they're seeing anymore. Uh, and so, for instance, maybe they may see a rug in the middle of the room and they may not want to walk over that rug because what they're seeing may be a, a big black hole. Um, so once you understand that, you can understand why your loved one may not want to walk into that room and walk onto that rug. But that's a sort of, sort of a little bit of an idea of, of the sort of examples throughout the book. Um, also, as well as looking at all those aspects, I've written a chapter on caring for the caregiver uh, with some sort of quick and sort of relatively easy tips to help recharge your batteries and nurture yourself. Um, and also, finally, there is a chapter that explores involving other people in care. So say, for instance, you may need to be um, involving caregivers, professional caregivers coming into your home. Uh, you may be considering uh, respite care or looking at care homes. So I've actually got a, a checklist of if you go to visit what to look out for. Because again, I think people at, all, at a lot of these stages, caregivers are very stressed. 
and need something very quick and easy to grasp when they have to make decisions like this. Um, so I'm hoping it really is about, um, you know, again, like making it this all very accessible. What kind of feedback have you been getting from the book? Well, I'm in awe, actually. I've been very, um, everybody I've spoken to has been really positive. I haven't had one negative um, comment. Basically, uh, oh, I've had um, one lady particularly told me that caring for her mother was just, had become so much easier. Her mum was 85, living at home on her own. She was becoming, she was um, trying to leave the house. She was at risk. They were considering um, her having to go into residential care. But actually, they worked on the, with the book together with some paid caregivers that were coming into the home. Uh, and now, she says, mum's much happier. She's not anxious anymore. And she's actually staying in her own home with some professional caregivers coming in. Um, and they just made a few subtle changes to uh, her home environment. So they've made it lighter for her. She sits at, um, at the window quite early in the morning because that can have an impact on your sleep and your circadian rhythms. Um, they listen to how she's feeling. She can't express the words very well, so they're actually listening to her emotions more. Uh, using visual prompts to help communicate with her. So if she's not understanding the words, she might actually... Um, uh, you know, understand a picture or a um, an object that might help. Uh, and in actual fact, she started um, leaving the house because she wanted to go to work. And so, one of one of the little tips I put in the in the book, and they followed this, was they've actually created a little um, office space for her. She used to be a typist, so we talked about what her life story was, what what she used to do. Um, and actually, yeah, she's got a desk in the corner of her lounge now with an old typewriter, an inkwell and papers, and she just goes there now in the morning. So again, it's these visual, tapping into these visual um, props, sensory side of it. She's got an inkwell with the smell of ink, that that takes her back to a time and evokes positive memories. So it's about looking at the positive memories we can draw from. Um, other care caregivers have fed back to me. They they love the book because it's it's really practical. Um, it, it's it's the, a lot of people have said they've you know actually seen some big changes in their they're not as stressed that their loved ones aren't as stressed and they feel they've got more confidence to care because of this little little. Bible, really, I suppose, um, and that if there's if they struggle a bit, they know they can pick this up and just quickly refer to. So it gives them more confidence, and if they're more confident, then people who have dementia are very perceptive to emotions and feelings. They're going to sense that there's a, a, a positive, more confident feel around them as well. So yes, I have been very lucky. I've had a lot of positive feedback. Well, that's great. And I, I think that that's really important because when we can ease um, the, the care partner's burden of I don't know enough or I don't know what I'm doing. And, and you know, you give such nice examples and such simple ways to maybe ease somebody like, you know, you've got a section in here about food, about just giving them a piece of chocolate so that they can suck on it and just relax their jaw and just 
you know, that's going to have an aroma, it's going to have a taste, it's going it, to, it's touching so many of those multi-sensory things. And um, when we can get the care partners to really, really be at peace when they're at peace, because mm. a lot of times we're still really busy, we're thinking we got to do something. And then the poor person with dementia never has time to relax because they're mirroring everything back that we're doing. But when care partners can understand that mirroring process and how we really can't hide what's going on in us because there's too many outlets, we can have a smile on our face and we can pretend, but we're not controlling the rest of our body language and that people with dementia don't lose that ability to read that and be connected to us through that. In fact, um, as you know, most of them say that that, that multi-sensory um, ability, they say, increases, you know, as they are, have a loss for words or an inability to communicate, um, their senses raise on those other levels and become even more intuitive and, and more concise. And, um, and so I think I think, you know, a book like yours is extremely helpful for everybody involved because it shows all sides and it helps us understand how we truly communicate and how how small things can make such a big difference. Mm -hmm. and, and I think we have been taught that only big things make a big difference. And it, it, that's so upside down. Um, I, I think the disease really teaches us to appreciate those little things and get get more in tune to um, a true, authentic communication. That, I, I agree, absolutely, yeah. Do you think, you know, your writing can help those living with the disease as well as the caregivers? Have you had people maybe with, with early onset who have read the book or... I have actually, and over here in the, um, the UK, we have what's called the Dementia Engagement and Empowerment Programme. Uh, and one of the ladies involved there was saying, actually, she's read the book, and uh, it was the only book that made any sense to her at all, um, because it was set out more clearly, um, and would recommend it to all her um, colleagues and friends within the, the, the programme that she's in. Uh, I have been asked to actually write a book for people um, who have dementia, so I'm I'm considering going around and, and interviewing people um, to do that because I feel, you know, I really need to get their voices heard within this and whether, um, so that's, that's sort of my next plan really, um, to make sure, and I think that's my big passion, is to make sure that those, those people really are getting their voices heard. Uh, and their experiences known, and and what what might help help them more as well. We're diagnosing people earlier on more. Um, there's it's to give people more of a chance to you know like in the first chapter here when I talk about you know it's really important that the person is able to express their needs and wants for the present and the future. Um, then I think that's another thing that I, I would be looking at covering. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think, you know, you talk about the, the different senses and stuff, and I think that that's something that is not covered and people aren't trained on, is how their senses change. And I think that would be a really interesting book. And again, not everybody's going to be the same, but even to hear those different voices of, well, this could happen, or this is how I've had it. I mean, some talk about how 
colors are so much more vivid than what they ever were in the past or how they're, you know, they're so much more sensitive to touch. And, you know, the shower can be a scary thing where it never used to bother them before and um, hearing or even when, you know, we're talking to somebody in the other room and then we can't understand why they can't follow our directions. And, and they tell us all the time, well, I need to read your lips. I didn't know that I read lips, but I need to read your lips and your facial expression. So please be in front of me when you're talking to me or, or talk at the same pace I'm talking at. Yeah. Um, instead of really slow or really fast, or um, I, I think that would be a wonderful book. I think it would um, empower those that are are part of the book, and I think it would empower um, those getting di that are diagnosed and um, and their caregivers and care partners as well. With and that, I, um, and I feel because I'm all about you know listening to the voice of the person, I feel I owe it to them. Mm -hmm the caregivers really so that I, you know truly am doing a true representation really from their point of view um and yes I mean, it's different you know but there are there will be similarities with experiences in some ways or, or they can draw from each other so and help each other perhaps yeah exactly exactly i um I, just like I said, I really like how you've broken down um, the different chapters. One of them, if you wouldn't mind just talking about a little bit, is about altered states with hallucinating and delusions and misperceptions, because I think that can throw families for a loop, not understanding what might be happening there. Um, yes, well, basically, um, sometimes we can avoid... A person who has um, certainly Lewy body dimension may be at more risk of seeing things that aren't there, so hallucinations or hearing things um, that aren't, aren't there, so auditory hallucinations. Uh, and particularly, I think one of my biggest things is um, if, if somebody is experiencing voices, hearing voices or seeing things, we need to reduce any sensory overload there. So if there's a television on, or there's a radio on, I'd certainly recommend taking, turning those off. Um, and also people may start, uh, we think they may be seeing things, but it might be a misperception. So it may be that the room is dark and there's shadow, and that because the person isn't seeing as they used to, they may be not able to make sense of what that shadow is. So, um, and, and these are parts of the, of the dementia that don't happen for everybody. But when they do, for a caregiver and for the person, it can be quite frightening. Now, some people have hallucinations and, and delusions, um, and it doesn't bother them at all. Uh, and so I would say then, if, they're, if it's not affecting them and not bothering them, then I would try not to be too concerned. Um, but I have, if I show, if I find that chapter now, where is it? Um, chapter 10, I think. Um, I've written in the end of the chapter. So I explain about what might be happening there. I don't know if you can see that um, at the beginning. Uh, and really, it might be worth thinking about what triggers might be setting off uh, if a person is having, um, particularly having these hallucinations. 
So if I, at the back of the chapter, so you can see the chapter sort of, it's all written quite clearly in a large text. It's got a few stories in there from caregivers who've experienced this. Little summary of what you can do uh, or what you need to consider. But also at the back, I've created a, what we call a journal. So it's, um, it's basically, how did your partner react? Um, what did they see here? or experience and then the date and the time because sometimes the time of day may have an impact um, where they were who was around because sometimes people can trigger off um, these things um, so again you're looking for clues often as a caregiver we're having to be um, detectives so looking for clues that might actually set off some of these um, particularly with hallucinations uh, and then maybe you know how long did it last and actually what helped it to stop. So instead of just experiencing this thing and feeling a bit out of depth of what to do about it, if you can actually consider these things, you might feel a little bit more in control of how you can help your, your loved one. And if somebody is experiencing this more and more and getting quite distressed, then I would certainly recommend go to the doctor. But here you've then, you take this to the doctor with you and you've got some real... Um, concrete information of what's going on which when you're stressed and you're, you're doctors and they're asking you questions uh, it's very difficult to try and remember but if you've got it here as a reference that'll really help as well and that, that's the same throughout all of the book there are notes pages at the end of each chapter which might actually um, you can date because we know things change often um, but if you can tailor that information from the chapter into your life and what your loved one is experiencing, then um, it might help you when you're talking to other professionals or other caregivers or anyone. You've got that information there. So, for instance, you know what your loved one, uh, maybe they like to sleep on their left side or or they like a cup of coffee in a certain way or at certain times of the day. So it's these it's writing down all this little information and, and sort of creating a picture um, of, of your loved one so that if you're not there, uh, or you might need it as a reminder for you, um, it's a communication to other people, other caregivers that actually might, might help as well. So that's why it's sort of self-help in the fact that you have all the information in the chapters um, and the stories, but you can actually tailor it to your experience as well. So I'm, I'm hoping that's, that's going to make you a lot of carers have sort of said as well, they feel a bit more in control, that they're not yep. just passively reading reams and reams of chapters of things. They're actually, it's giving, it's making them realise that there are creative things that they can think about mm -hmm. as well, based on their relationships with their loved ones, really. Well, and I think when people use that journal, like you said, you can use it for the doctor, but you can pass it on to family and friends because they might be seeing similar things. And, you know, you get so overloaded as a care partner and you think you're remembering it all, but you don't. And if, if something is triggered by a certain time of day, you're going to be able to pick up that pattern where we might not otherwise if it's not written down in, in front of us like that. Um, so I think that those types of things are, are really, really helpful. You also have um, another um, chapter, I think it's chapter seven, on um, tips for eating and drinking, because that can change what's, you know, all of a sudden somebody wants finger foods now, and 
I remember my mom um, when she she was in a nursing home, but she got really upset when other people st stopped using their utensils and were eating with their hands. And she was she got really disgusted with that. And I think it was more out of fear that she was going to do that next and that they weren't given necessarily proper finger foods to eat. And so they were eating mashed potatoes with their hands or something on that order. Yeah. And, um, and so knowing that to be able to still allow them to have dignity and independence mm -hmm. and freedom, uh, you know, is, is they're all little small changes that really don't take a lot to accommodate, but you can't accommodate them if you're not aware of them. No. But, so I think you give some really nice ideas, you know, about preserving dignity and independence throughout this book and instated in a nice way that, because as a care partner, we can get rushed and then we can just take over. Because it's, we can do it faster, we can do it better, we can do it easier, but we don't realize what we're taking away from our loved one or the person we're caring for by doing that. And, yeah. and it gets us more relationship-based versus task-oriented. And when I was training as a nurse as well, so yes, very much that we can totally take away people's independence and actually that contributes to the dementia. So we're finding out more and more if we can stand back and give the person time, um, their dementia is less likely to deteriorate so quickly, which is quite sort of... Um, it's, it's sort of quite a big thing to say, but we're realizing more and more that if we can actually take the time, uh, and it's easy for me, I'm not a caregiver, um, so, and that's why I really wanted to write this with a view to un trying to understand the stresses and strains and to be realistic in when you're caring. And for instance, one of the biggest tips really is if, if your, your care partner is getting quite stressed, then um, it's best to sort of pull back, take your time and relax and, and perhaps don't even attempt to do what you were planning to do at the time. But, but it also explains why that's happening probably as well, why, um, a, why a um, partner might get very stressed when you're trying to help them with personal care. And there are some sort of gentle tips of how we can perhaps get around that you know, maybe through miming, because they may not be able to understand what we're asking them to do. Um, maybe uh, there's, there's a dignity and an embarrassment that goes with that, just because somebody isn't able to perhaps say what they're feeling. It doesn't mean to say they're not feeling those feelings. And I think that's the big thing is to get across, is that people who have dementia are more likely to express themselves through their emotions. Uh, and that's what we've got to be really sensitive to. Um, so yeah, I hope that, you know, there's a sort of sensitivity in the book, but there's also some practical little tips of what we might need to say, perhaps, because sometimes, you know, say for instance, um, uh, your loved one might be looking for their mother or looking to go home and they're already in their own home. What do you do about that? That's really, you know, um, you know, you're at a loss and as well as it being extremely distressing. So I've, I've sort of explained really, I, uh, there is a theory that when somebody's looking for home or their mother, we have to think about what those represent more than the actual person and the place. 
it's more about perhaps they're not feeling um, they're feeling a little bit stressed they're feeling a little bit insecure and they're actually turning to those things from the past that gave them that sense of security and love um, and, and also there may be uh, you know there are some suggestions in the book of what you can say and how you can um, perhaps get them out of that distress maybe and bring them around a little bit uh, without without upsetting them any further really so there's quite a few little tips in there of what you know in certain situations what can what could I say if you can't remember somebody's name or can't remember that somebody is your granddaughter like like you mentioned Laurie about you know you're you being a niece that was very distressing for you um, and actually the person usually knows that you're someone very meaningful to them but may not understand what the word niece means anywhere, anymore. So actually the emotion's still there, but the, the fact has gone of the word. Really. So um, I'm hoping that's, that will help with some people some reassurance as well. Now, have you gotten much feedback from um, medical professionals on your book? Um, I've had, I'm just getting there at the moment. Um, I'm trying to get through to, we have general practitioners over here that, you know, first line primary doctors. Uh, and memory clinic staff, yes, uh, a lot of dementia care lecturers um, and nurses. I'm getting a lot of fe um, positive feedback there that even though the book is written for families, um, it's actually got a lot of information in there that can help professional caregivers and doctors. Um, so I'm just about to sort of start going into some of the, um, the medical world now with the book and to see if they you know would like to because they're the first line of seeing people who have a memory problem maybe that's often how it first presents not always so I really feel you know I don't know what it's like in the US but in the UK doctors are slowly um, their education is slowly improving but there's still a way for them to go so if they could read this they'd actually understand and be able to give some tips to people that are coming into their clinics you know so yes yeah. yeah we have the same problem here yeah. um there's a lot of medical speak or there's a lot of doctors that aren't passing on the diagnosis because they don't even know what to do they don't know how to give hope and so i you know books like yours give people hope to understand and to still be able to engage and um, get past this whole doom and gloom that there's no life with dementia um, dementia is just another um, another symptom, you know, or, or category of symptoms, and and um, I don't want to call it a disease because it's not. Because, but people view it as a disease. The the various the various types of of dementia are diseases, but you know we have to learn to live with it, like we've learned to live with heart disease and cancer and diabetes and you know all the other things that are out there. But it it's been a slow process. And it seems to finally be gaining some speed. And, um, and, and with that, you know, um, comes some good and some bad information, which is, which is typical. But at least people are having the conversation. And there's so much more for people to access. I look back, you know, 35 years ago with my mom, there was nothing. I mean, there was just nothing. You, you didn't know even where to where to start and now you can google things um, there's a company here in the US called um, Provalens that is putting together the first dementia resource directory 
which is cool. It's called Care to Plan. So if you go to, I have it on beta testing on my site. So if you go to alzheimerspeaks.com and just click on the resource tab, you'll be able to see that. And um, our goal is with that to get it into the clinics and the hospitals and the social workers. So when people get originally diagnosed, they can pull up a little bit of information, but refer them back to that. And we have um, uh, companies like uh, Mayo Clinic and the um, National Institute of Health are kind of some of the content builders, but it'll have things on housing, it'll have it on, on speakers, it'll have books, it'll have magazines, it'll have um, a little bit of everything, things on finances, medication, um, pretty much endless. And they still have to do the subcategories, haven't been published yet, and the geo searches. Um, and then they'll be able to save and share files and um, everybody who is part of it actually will end up uh, having the ability to have a portal on their own website so that we can get this out. And um, it'll be, you know, of course, cost free to, um, to the public there. But uh, so I'm really excited because that's something, again, I always wanted to see. And uh, when I heard about these guys, I was just very excited. And you'll be able to save it and refine it, you know, because I think that's part of the problem. I ran it across it, but I, you know, if you didn't save the URL, then, you know, you just, you can't find it all the time again. So I'm, I'm really excited about your book. Again, the name of the book is Finding the Light in Dementia, A Guide for Family and Friends and Caregivers by uh, Jane M. Mullins, and it's it's a fabulous book. I know it'll be a, a useful tool to both families and professionals, uh, as well as those diagnosed. And um, you can go to her website, which is findingthelightindementia.com. That's findingthelightindementia.com. Or you can email Jane at jane at d-u-e-t-care dot co dot uk so jane at uh, d u e t and then c a r e dot c o u k and um you'll be able to uh find her book there is it on amazon or anything or so um it's, it's also on Barnes and noble okay but, but the, the quickest and easiest place to get it is amazon yeah. Okay, wonderful. Well, any any last comments that you'd like to make? Um, well, just to say thank you for being able to sort of connect with you and your audience. Because uh, when I came across your um, your website, I was really blown away by um, all that is on there and the support that people can have. So to be part of that is is a big honor, actually, Laurie. So I want to thank you for that. Oh, you're more than welcome. Well, again, you know, you can go to um, Jane's website, findingthelightindementia.com for more information. And it was a pleasure to have you with us today. In wrapping up, I'm just going to give a shout out to the Call Alert Center, which is a wonderful way if you have somebody who is diagnosed that you're worried about might wander or a low. They have a great service that you can prepare ahead of time. It's very economical, but it's a it's a wonderful, wonderful tool to be able to use. Again, you can go to the callalertcenter.com forward slash caregiver or go to alzheimerspeaks.com and you'll see a banner ad and you'll get a 20% discount on that. 
Um, I also want to give a shout out to the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation. I totally adore them. So if you're looking for holistic approaches, if you're looking for ideas on what should you eat and what kind of exercise and meditation, um, they're very, very useful. And then, of course, I would be admiss if I didn't mention the Memory Cafe directory. Um, you can go to memorycafedirectory.com, which is sponsored by Calendar Cards, which is a memory system. And Calendar Cards is spelt with um, a K instead of a C for both calendar and cards. Um, but that they are um, wonderful in hosting the Memory Cafe directory, which hosts primarily the U.S. Um, memory cafes, but I guess they're expanding now. So um, to merge and uh, those are great, great tools as well. And uh, last, you know, you can always go to Alzheimer Speaks. We have all kinds of resources there for you at the ready. So thank you so much, everyone. And we'll talk soon. Bye now. Hi, this is Suzanne Newman, host of the Answers for Elders podcast and radio show. We are the North Star that guides you through the complicated journey of senior care with trusted experts in money, law, living solutions, and more. So join us on this station, your favorite podcast channel, or just go to AnswersForElders.com. Meet the Wayshowers who will help your journey a lot easier.